This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hi, I'm Scott Sochman. I'm Evan Novi Williams, and this is the Sportacast. Evan, you, like me, looking out the window, the snow has been coming down for some time at time of this taping. I was out early shoveling the driveway, the sidewalk. I looked out about two hours later. I can't see the driveway. I can't see the sidewalk. I feel as if I wasted my time. One of the benefits, Scott, of living in a Manhattan high-rise is I don't need to, I don't own a shovel. I don't need to touch one. It is not something that I necessarily need to deal with here. I, I am not happy about that. Well, you're like just totally piling on because I have to go out later again and motivate the 11-year-old to grab a shovel. And as you know, and I'm using air quotes, the kid goes out and he helps to do things like shovel, but it's Free like labor. moving snow a few feet. I'm still <laughs> the one probably has to go over everything. So Scott, let's talk, you know, news of, of the week and last week uh, and a big event that we had for Sportico last Thursday. You know, the return to sporting events, we had a long uh, two-hour uh, panel discussion with a number of folks, you know, big wigs in the sports business world, including Joe Lacob, the owner of the Warriors, co-owner of the Warriors. He said some big things, including the team is losing 70% of its revenue right now without having fans allowed in the building. Did that surprise you, that number? I know Adam Silver has prior said, you know, for, for teams specifically across the league and in the NBA business, it's more like 40%. Yeah, I guess they are so heavily dependent on that building. You know, there's good news, bad news. You get this brand new facility, uh, but you're counting on it to be a cash register. And because there are no games, there are no concerts, there's no anything, uh, depth service doesn't care, right? <laughs> you still need to pay on that building. And what did he say? In order for them to break even, they would have to sell out every suite plus some fans in the stands. He didn't say exactly how much, but that would be just to break even. And we know with the health officials and the way they're approaching things in California, he is not going to get those fans in the building anytime soon. Yeah, that building, obviously, the $1.6 billion Chase Center that opened last year, the team took out you know some amount of debt to pay that off. We're not sure exactly how big that is. The Warriors are kind of in this weird position, as we talked about last week on the podcast. They're worth over $5 billion, one of three NBA teams worth over $5 billion. They don't, despite their big success, have a massive local media TV deal. Some teams make a ton of money off their local TV. The Warriors are not one of them. And as a result, they're more reliant on in stadium gate. Uh, and as you said, this is a, 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 an arena that was built for 200 to 250 events per year. Obviously 
the NBA isn't all of that. There's a lot of concerts. There's, there's other things that they were expecting to have in there and they're not, you know, able to do any of it right now. So certainly the Warriors on the, on the high end, I would expect of NBA teams that are affected right now. Yeah. The bad news that right now during the pandemic, there's nobody in the building. The good news is that this building was sold when the Warriors were maybe the hottest sports team in the world. Steph Curry was redefining how the game was played. My guess is they've got 20-year deals on those suites, booking billions of dollars of promised revenue from companies looking to do their business in the building during concerts and and basketball games and and all the other events that they have. So it's bad news short-term, but, and everybody I'm speaking with, Eben, Everybody I'm speaking with in the industry, and this includes variants of COVID-19 strains, and we don't know, and we have to stay masked, and we're not sure when, all of that uncertainty. What everybody agrees upon is that there is a slingshot of pent-up demand for whenever pro sports does return that folks are going to flood into the buildings. They will watch and cheer and come like never before, which means that the revenue soon will flow for these clubs. Yeah, and that's a good transition to one of the biggest takeaways I took from our event is how long people actually expect this to take before we're getting to that scenario you're talking about. You know, these are Joe Lacob, Mark Lazary, the owner of the Bucks, kind of openly talking about next year as as maybe the year that is unencumbered. I think for a long time, and and there may still be people out there who thought vaccine is starting to roll out in December and January, and maybe by the summer we'll be able to have, you know, the truth is most people are now thinking we got to get through this year with limited or maybe even no fans. And this may even spill over into next year before we get back to normal. Yeah. And folks, if you're not aware, like Joe Lacob does have a background in, in bioscience and epidemiology So he had a task force set up nine months ago, an internal task force for how his franchise and his building should deal with things. Anybody who walks into Chase Center now, um, whether whether you are a player, an executive, uh, you work in the arena, uh, operations, doesn't matter, you're getting the rapid test. And he he put that, you know, he put that plan forward. He was going to spend tens of millions of dollars to say, I'll test fans to get them in the building. The problem he had Uh, When he went to the local health officials, Evan, and I asked him, well, what did they say? What was the response? And what? remember what he said? Yeah, he said they had no idea what the Warriors were talking about. They didn't even know what the test was. Rapid PCR tests. Yeah. I I think it kind of sets the stage for moving forward a little bit. There's going to be teams like the Warriors that have the money and are willing to spend that money to try to put fans in seats in a safe manner. And they're going to be at the whim of the local authorities, right? The the local mayor, local governance, local public health, as was the case in San Francisco, different, you know, it's our, we're already seeing this right now, but different teams are going to have very different approaches to fans, not because of the way that they want to do it necessarily, but more because of the way local public health officials allow them to do it. Yeah. And they know it in, in one of our polls that we did in dealing with um, sports professionals, We said, what's the outside constituency that teams are going to most have to deal with? What's like a topic? And, you know, there was customers, there were fans, there was sponsors, all of that. Number one on the list was local health officials. They understand that whatever that edict is, they have to follow. There's no sneaking people in the back door. 
that perhaps some youth sports leagues might be doing that I'm not aware of. Um, so <laughs> if you get my drift. Um, so yeah, they understand that they had better forge a, a partnership, a working partnership with these local health officials because they're going to need the okay to do it. Let's shift gears now, moving away from COVID for a second. Some big news early this week, Theo Epstein, longtime baseball executive man who won World Series with both the Boston Red Sox and the Chicago Cubs, joining Arctos Partners, a group that we we write about, we, we've done events with before. Scott, tell us how big a deal this is, Epstein going from kind of front office executive now into an investment group that might own equity shares and teams. Yeah, well, we should say that Arctos was our partner on the event we were just referencing with all with Joe Lacob. And by the way, we, we didn't even mention that Tim Laiwiki wants government bailouts for pro sports. Yeah, that Tim, was a hot take. It, yeah, Vofu Group, you know, he runs the building in Seattle, the renovated key arena. He, he's got this arena partnership. He was pretty adamant that sports and entertainment was hit like no other industry. And he thought that government should step in and help. I don't know how that'll go over. Uh, it's it's sort of where the, the lead balloon of we want public money for, for buildings these days, for billionaire owners. That doesn't go over uh, too well. It's one reason why Seattle lost the Supersonics in the first place, because taxpayers wouldn't pay. Um, but just interesting to note that Tim was was banging the drum of bailout and and public support for the pro sports and entertainment industry. But getting back to Theo Epstein, yeah, I mean, this is one of the things we've seen coming out of pandemic, that whether it's the Arcto Sports Partners, which is not yet approved to sort of invest in the NBA, because the NBA was the first group out there to say that they will allow institutional investors. The NBA does have a deal with Dial, which is part of Newberger. Um, Teams need capital for different reasons. Some just need a, an infusion. Some want, uh, some limited partners want out. You know, they don't want cash calls anymore. So there's different reasons. And they do have a group of Ian Charles and Doc O'Connor. Uh, Ian, a private equity guy, Doc O'Connor, of course, ran MSG, CAA. Um, and David Levy is an advisor over there, the former Turner president. And now in comes, arguably, you know, the, the biggest name in baseball management, having ended those two droughts. And it's, it's sort of an, an ownership tutorial for Theo. When he left the Cubs, he did mention that he had a desire to get in pro sports ownership. And it doesn't hurt to dip your toe rather than jump in full force with some ownership group. This is a way where he will be able to communicate with ownership, both LP, controlling stakes, and learn more about what goes into it wouldn't surprise me if some sometime down the road we see Theo as a uh, a Derek Jeter type ownership uh, guy in some sort of group that's looking to buy a team. Yeah, and and we know we know Arctos is interested in the NBA, which we've written and discussed about Major League Baseball also changing its rules to allow private equity investment. The NHL already allows it. Major League Soccer changed its rules last year, already allows it. The NFL, I think right now, is the only major U.S. league that is still very much, you know, no private equity investors can own own shares. But I would imagine that Theo will also broaden kind of, especially in, in the Major League Baseball sphere, the, the institutional knowledge at Arctos to help them go after some of these franchises when, when they're ready to pull the pull the trigger on those. Well, one banker did send me a text message when we sent out our alert that, wait a minute, aren't these supposed to be passive investments? So how much can Theo really know? Is it okay? Is he going to have a look it's at a good the financials question. of other clubs uh, as he does you know, his, his meanderings about the different teams that they're investing in? Is he going to get a peek into some of the other clubs? Um, that this banker said, 
I don't think they'd be too high on that idea. So that again, there are things that need to be worked out. There are rules that need to be ironed out because this is this is something new for pro sports. And there will, of course, be some potholes along the way, and they'll deal with them as they come up. If I'm going to put you on the hot seat here for a second, by end of summer, let's say by August 31st, how many major U.S. sports franchises do you think have private equity investors? By end of summer, um, I will say you'll need two hands to count them. Mm, okay. So this is something that's yeah, going to move it'll fairly be quickly it, at this point. Yeah. I, yeah, the teams need the money. The, the teams, some teams do need the money. The LPs need to either sell uh, or just a capital infusion. Yeah. Um, but we've been a, saying a, that again, for a year. I mean, ever since the pandemic started, it's kind of been this, when when is the first sale going to have to happen? When are people going to need, you know, when are the, when are the LP sales going to flow? And, and it hasn't, I mean, largely, there's been a few, but there hasn't hasn't been any massive, you know, this guy needs cash sales quite yet. Um, well, these firms like had to raise the money. Don't forget, Evan, the, these firms needed to raise the money. And now that, you know, that, that, that some do and some are still coming to, to fruition, um, though I think those talks have probably heated up between the clubs and these firms. And we, we will see some deals pretty soon. For sure. And in the NBA, there's going to be more competition. It's not just dial now. You know, it's going to be it's going to be more institutional investors sniffing around there. And that probably kind of greases the wheels on deals getting done as well. Yeah, and probably, I, I would think, uh, allows for better terms for the teams rather than if you had to deal with just one entity uh, as if you were selling a property. More bidders means more dollars. Well, you know, uh, conversely, if you have more people vying for your attention in your business, you can probably dictate terms a little more. Exactly. So let's go to the last story that we're going to talk about today. Uh, we're two weeks away from spring training starting, Scott. I don't, I don't know if you knew that. Um, but that uh, is, are we? That is a uh, that is a shocking uh, number to me. Uh, and yes, your question, are we? There is a another, you know, deja vu here a little bit, another kind of labor fight happening right now between Major League Baseball owners and Major League Baseball players. Uh, the owners, just to kind of catch up as we're recording this, you know, a couple days ago made their most recent offer which is essentially to delay the start of the season about a month. It pushes training camp a month out, start the season in late April, ends up with 152 game season. So you're cutting 12 games. If I'm doing that, 10 games off the, off the total. <laughs> I was, I was like, no, you're not doing that right. <laughs> <laughs> to, to pay players hundred percent of their set salaries at the start is the, is the goal. That is a, that is an offer that everyone seems to be expecting the union to reject do you feel, I, I feel the deja vu here in that, you know, we, we were at this point, it feels like eight months ago with the last baseball season where kind of right up until the start of it, the two sides were bickering back and forth. It looked like at one point the season might not happen at all. They obviously got a 60 game season off the ground. What do we expect here and how big a deal is this for baseball? Wait, what, just when you said spring training, did you allow me 10 seconds to close my eyes and think about Cactus League and to think <laughs> about Grapefruit League? Uh, have you ever driven around the spring training sites in either Florida? Or I have Arizona? been to the Florida. I have been to a few of the Florida Florida ones, the St. Pete's yes. and, and in Tampa. Yeah, I really, really, I really enjoyed it. And it, if you've never done it, everybody should at least do it once in their lives if they're baseball fans. But although the memory that stands out for me was meeting up at the Indians ballpark, I believe it was Chano Lakes Field, and there were mosquitoes everywhere. I mean, all over the car. As soon as you stepped out, it was almost like Jabba Chamberlain and the midges, except I stepped out into a, just, just a phalanx of mosquitoes. It, it was awful. That was my, that was the one piece of spring training I did not like too much, but you're right. He, but this is tough, Eben, because there's so much distrust on the sides. 
So do players believe that owners lost three to four billion dollars? I don't know. They're skeptical. I can say that. You know that that the unions are skeptical of the losses. Um, the owners are pushing for expanded playoffs, 14 teams, but they don't want to share the revenue from those expanded playoffs. As we know, media is the number one source of revenue for these pro sports teams. They'll share gate, but if it's a pandemic and there aren't that many people in the stands, what does that really amount to? It's just not a lot of money. So yeah, here, here we are again, We're, uh, on the precipice of another season where the, the players union and baseball owners don't seem to be able to get together. Do I think they'll wind up having a deal? Yes, because I wouldn't believe that they're looking to skip or want to skip an entire season. This, this collective bargaining agreement ends in December, if memory serves. So there's a broader fight. Remember, anything you do now sets the table for that next big discussion where you're looking at the multi-year next collective bargaining agreement. So you don't want to give anything away now because I don't remember, I think it was David Stern who told me, once something goes in a deal, it's really hard to get it out. Yeah. So that that's sort of how they're approaching it. It isn't just that we have a we have 10 years of labor peace, we're in year three, and we have this pandemic issue we need to work together. This comes as the deal's about to expire in December. That adds a problematic layer for both sides. Without question. And, and as folks, you know, if you think about the economics of baseball relative to the other leagues, one thing that's important here, one of the reasons the owners want to push the start of the season is that if you move everything a month later, that's probably another month where you can have more fans than you're going to have at the start of the season. It's more money in their pockets. Where baseball differs from other sports is that where NFL and NBA players get a specific cut of revenue as part of the salary cap, baseball does not work that way economically. The, 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 the player's pay is kind of divorced from the amount of revenue that comes in. So for folks out there who might think, oh, if players just agree to push the season a month, if owners make more money, that means players get paid more. That's actually not the way that baseball works with its salary cap. So, you know, there's a little bit different, you know, machinations here for baseball than there would be for other sports. But I, I want to echo the point that you just made because this is all kind of an, uh, an appetizer to the entree that yeah. is the next collective bargaining agreement. And there are so many, we could do five different podcasts on the economics of the way players are getting paid. It was another slow free agency or has been another slow free agency right now. Players clearly feel as though owners are, are, are essentially totally changing the calculus of, of how you pay players, paying younger players or, or committing more to younger players when they're on very team-friendly deals and then jettisoning them when they get older. There's concerns about um, whether teams are trying to win now as opposed to just fielding a cheaper team and getting the, the revenue share check. There's so many things that add into this distrust that you discussed about baseball. And yes, having another mini labor fight leading up to this season. So you can go into after the season ends, the much bigger labor fight that's going to happen after that. Uh, it's certainly a tough situation for baseball. You know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to get Boomski on. Barry Bloom, he's been covering baseball forever. We're going to have to talk a little baseball stuff with Boomski, one of these podcasts. What do you say? Absolutely. I'm, I'm up for it. All right. We didn't even talk on, by the way, we didn't talk about MLS and their labor. We didn't talk about Jeff Another Luno one. and Tavo Hellman. They're, they're in a SPAC, but we only have so much time. I mean, people just need to go to sportico.com, we'll Scott. <laughs> yeah, there's more on it there. You're, you're right. And Cora Veltman, our social media manager, would kill us if we didn't say go check us out on Twitter at Sportacast. You're at Novi underscore Williams. I am at Sashnik. Thank you for listening to the Sportacast. What will be the centerpiece of the Sportico podcast network? 
Download it wherever you get your podcasts.